Good morning, Bethel. Happy Thanksgiving from uh, myself and Natalie and our whole family and the whole church family here at Bethel to you. Would you bow with me? Let's pray as we approach God's word. Thank you, God, so much for your many blessings. We could spend all day just recounting the, the blessings and kindness that you have bestowed upon us. We are so grateful. And uh, we now come to your word, which is right there at the top of all the blessings given to us, your living word. And we ask that you would speak to us, that you would lead us. I ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Amen and amen. Back in the day, when our family was uh, a little bit younger, holidays like this, like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, were, were the things of road trips for us. We, we would load up all of our little kids into their car seats and pack their snacks in the bags and everything and hit the road to go to grandma and grandpa's or nana and papa's or to go see the cousins so that we could get together with our family and enjoy, you know, those turkey dinners with all the fixings. Inevitably, without fail, we would get five minutes down the road, 10 minutes down the road, 15 minutes, maybe if we were lucky. And then from the back seats would come that question. Do you know which question I'm talking about? You know the question, don't you? Are we there yet? And, and, and that question would ring out, wondering, longing, is this, is this journey over? Have we arrived yet? In our own spiritual journeys, and we're all on a spiritual journey, right? In our own spiritual journeys and following after Jesus, we can find ourselves often sort of asking that question or, or longing for and even subtly starting to slide into this assumption of we've arrived. We're on this journey and surely, surely, aren't we there yet? We, we've arrived, haven't we? We, we have heard about Jesus. We start following him and, and there's an initial passion and conviction and longings and yearnings to live for him. But slowly, without even maybe realizing, the, the passions start to lessen. The convictions, they wane a bit. The, the longings, they sort of flitter away. The, the yearnings just kind of settle down. And we start to just kind of live like we've arrived. Like we, we still love Jesus, kind of, right? But, but we, we just go and we sing the songs and we pray the prayers and we do the duties that we're supposed to do. But it's all just really kind of in a cruise control. We're coasting. And we live like we've arrived. We're good. We've got the basics and we can just kind of settle in. This morning, we are starting a brand new teaching series in the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans. It's a New Testament book written by the Holy Spirit who led the Apostle Paul to write this letter to the ancient church in the city of Rome. To followers of Jesus, men and women of faith, who, who have come to know Jesus and love Jesus and give their life to following him. 
But just like us, they, they may have started with passions and convictions and longings and yearnings, but they are tempted into the same thing that we are tempted in. Into this like settled down, we've arrived sort of way of living. And here's how I would summarize this whole letter that was written by God through the Apostle Paul to the Romans that we're going to dig in over these coming months. is this. Here's how I'd summarize it. Paul is writing to the believers in Rome, having heard of their faith and yearning to strengthen them in their faith. It's a church, a group he's largely actually never met. He knows a couple of them, but it's, it's largely strangers. He's never been to Rome. He's never met with them. And he's writing this letter to them, having heard of their faith and yearning to strengthen them in their faith. In one sense, you could say they've arrived because they, they are followers of Jesus. They've come to know Jesus. They've put their trust in him. They, they've, they've entered into relationship with God and been forgiven of their sins. So in one sense, you could say they've arrived. But in another sense, no, they have so far still to go to be strengthened in their faith. And, and Paul is yearning to be used by the Lord to strengthen them because they haven't quite arrived. They, they've come to know Jesus, but they need to keep growing in Jesus and they need to keep being strengthened in their faith. And th this is really how I would summarize we now, not the original recipients of this letter, but as we come to this spirit-inspired, perfect word of God letter, what, is, what do we do with this letter? Here's, here's how I would say we receive this letter as people of faith needing even stronger faith too. We, we come to this portion of God's word as, as men and women, young and old, on our journeys, but as people of faith needing to be strengthened in our faith. And here's how the letter begins. It begins with an introduction. Paul introduces himself. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith and to you and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This is, if you're going through the New Testament books, this is the longest introduction that Paul has written. It's not really surprising at the beginning of this letter because, as we already said, like he doesn't know, he hasn't been to, he didn't, wasn't a part of planting this church. And so he's introducing himself to these believers in Rome. And, and here's how I would kind of latch onto or summarize this first introduction. The, the, the main point is this, all I have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. All that I have, the only thing I have to offer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul explains first and foremost, he is a servant of Christ Jesus, we see here. 
His entire life is given to and is under the authority of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the long-awaited Savior of the world. He is not living for himself. Right off the bat, he says, I am not my own. I am a servant of Jesus. Paul says, I was called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. I, I was appointed. I was chosen. I was specifically given the commission by God to be an ambassador for him. Down in verse 5, he explains this just a little bit more. He specifically has been given the task to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That is, everyone who is not of Jewish ethnicity. A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. An ambassador to the nations, to, to every people, nation, tribe, and tongue outside of the Jews. Paul has been given this commission to go. A, a herald into the city center saying, hear ye, hear ye, a political envoy coming and saying, I need to meet with your king because I've got a letter for him. What is the message that he's been given from Almighty God? What is the heralding that he's declaring from the rooftops? It's the good news that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who's a descendant of David, who's also the Son of God, who was resurrected from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is his message that he's heralding. This is his declaration that he is coming with. Paul has been appointed as a special envoy of God with this message, that, that God had a plan way, 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 way back when. Before there even was time, God had a plan to rescue a people for his own from every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. And, and he set out on a rescue mission. He orchestrated all of human history. He promised before this was going to happen that it was going to happen. He sent prophets to declare it. He made them write it down in a book so that we had it in the Holy Scriptures. He then sent his son, his one and only son, to come, to live, to die, to be buried in the ground, and then miraculously to be raised from the dead so that we can be rescued. We can be reconciled to God. We who have turned our backs upon God can be brought back into relationship with God. We who are wicked and vile sinners can be washed clean and purer than snow through Jesus who died on the cross. This is Paul's message. All I have, Paul says, is this good news. That's all I have. That's all my life is shaped around. This is, this is all I am called to do with everything in me is to go and to declare this message. This is front-end load. He tells us what this is, this incredible news that he's coming to offer. It's what my whole life is framed around. All I have is this gospel of Jesus Christ. And get this, Bethel. All we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All Paul has to offer to us is all that we need. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans is often described by different you know, scholars, pastors, authors, writers as, as like the, the pinnacle of Paul's theological 
writings describing and talking about God, the, the treaties of all treaties. And, and it's true in certain ways. What we're going to see is such wonderful, deep depth for our souls and, and food to nourish our souls. But I also love the way Dr. John Neufeld describes this book. Because yes, there is much in it, but, but as Dr. Neufeld describes it, he says this is Christianity 101. Romans is Christianity 101. It's, it's Paul's introductory letter saying here's the basics of the gospel. Here's what is foundational to our faith. And friends, brothers and sisters, no matter how far along in your spiritual journey you are, or you're just beginning to explore it. Maybe it's, it's just a very initial exploration. Maybe you have embraced faith in Jesus for a little while, or maybe it's been decades and decades for you. No matter where you are on the journey, all that you need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever you find yourself, the message you need, the hope we need is the same. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you hear me say gospel, do not think, if you've been around church circles for a while, maybe your head goes to that, that message that you tell or that message that you believe in order to become a Christian. Yes, that is the gospel, but the gospel is so much more than just that initial message to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is so much more. It is about the ongoing day by day, moment by moment, the rest of our lives is how we walk with Jesus. Listen to how Paul, in another one of his letters, describes not only how we begin, but how we continue. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. The same way that you started with Jesus is how you continue with Jesus. And, and we hear that cry from the back seat. Are, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the answer is yes and no, right? If, it, if we've come to put our faith in Jesus Christ, then in one sense, yes, we've arrived. We've entered into a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ made possible only by this incredible gift of grace that God has given to us. But in another sense, no, 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 we have not arrived. We have so far to go. And what do we need? We need the gospel. We need the gospel, friends. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our spiritual journeys. The gospel of Jesus is, is the good news that transforms our understanding and perspective and relationship with God. The gospel of Jesus transforms our families and our friendship. The gospel of Jesus continues to alter the way that we see the world and makes us beacons of hope. The gospel of Jesus brings healing to the deepest wounds that we might have. The gospel of Jesus unites relationships that feel like they're utterly torn to shreds. The gospel of Jesus shines light and hope into the darkest recesses of your soul. 
The gospel of Jesus calms the greatest storms of anxiety. The gospel of Jesus showers freedom from guilt and shame and produces holiness and a changed life. The gospel of Jesus brings peace to the most stricken and heavy laden of hearts. The love of God displayed in him sending his son to die on the cross for us and him orchestrating all of history as pawns to accomplish that purpose and show his grand majesty is what all of us, we desperately need and we never grow tired of. All we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this book, this letter that we are going to dig into, we are going to find such sweet, deep, rich declarations and unpackings. We're just going to like marinate in this gospel together in the coming weeks together. And it's going to be so beautiful. I'm praying that God is going to work powerfully as we do this. All we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look back in our text here. We see verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter is for people, hear this, just like us. This letter is for people just like us. This letter was first penned to followers of Jesus in Rome. It was written by Paul while he was most likely in the city of Corinth, which is in Greece. He was there probably around 57 AD. So this, this letter is about 1940 years old, okay? And Paul was in Corinth there on his third major missionary trip around the Mediterranean. And he was, he was camping out in Corinth and helping to encourage the church that was there. And he's writing, it says, to the saints in Rome. That literally, the word saints means holy ones. Now, if, if you maybe have a little bit of like a Roman Catholic background in your sort of journey and spiritual background, and maybe you hear that and you kind of think of saints as, as those who are like, you know, the really high and elevated and esteemed leaders of old. But, but quite literally what the word here means is it means holy ones. It's not talking about just esteemed high leaders that have, have been just set apart in church history. But it's talking about those who have become holy because they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's writing to men and women, young and old, from all walks of life who have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. So these are not a perfect people, but these also are not a crazy and distant and different people than, than you and I. I, I recognize fully that this was a letter written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and it was written to uh, a group of people that were in a different culture and even written in a language that was different than what we are speaking here today. But as the old saying goes, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The church in Rome at this time was going through some really interesting 
dynamic, some, some challenging circumstances, some significant tension. And even though Paul has never been to this church in person, he's heard through the grapevine about all that is going on amongst them. And, and the themes that are going to weave through this entire letter that we're going to see keep coming up because he's heard about what's going on amongst the people. See, the church in Rome started several years before Paul's writing this letter. We don't know exactly when, but, but it, it's very possible that it started actually right at the very beginning of when the whole church started. If you remember back to the book of Acts, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost when there was this um, giant festival going on in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God comes down. Peter stands up, declares this incredible sermon, and thousands and thousands of people who were from all over the world of that day were there in Jerusalem, heard the gospel, and gave their lives to Jesus. And after just a little while, they went back to their own homes. And so it's quite possible that actually some of the people who were there in Jerusalem and became Christians were from Rome and went back to Rome and started a church in Rome because of their faith that they'd received while they were in Jerusalem. It's also possible that maybe it was just a couple years later, and maybe someone else had traveled from amongst that group to Rome, shared the gospel, and that's how a church started. Either way, though, the church in Rome began, and its roots were deeply ingrained in Judaism. All of the first Christians were actually Jews who came to put their faith in Jesus Christ in Rome. But then over the next couple years, the church started sharing the gospel, as we're supposed to, and men and women started coming to Jesus, and not just Jews, but also Gentiles, non-Jewish men and women, started putting their faith in Jesus. And slowly, a little bit more and a little bit more, but, but this started to create this tension, this tension within the church, because you've got some from one background and one um, way of living and way of seeing faith, and then some from another, and it was kind of rubbing. And, and it just so happened that, that within those early years, there was a whole bunch of tension going on more generally within society in Rome to the point where... The Roman emperor, his name was Claudius, got so fed up with whatever was going on in the city that he, he, he claimed it was the Jews who were causing all the trouble, and he, he actually banished the Jews from Rome. We, we read about this. You can actually find a, uh, an ancient Roman historian. His name is uh, Suetonius, or, or also actually in the book of Acts in chapter 18, we, we see a description of how this happened. Here's what it says in Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontius who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, that's the emperor, had ordered that all the Jews were to leave Rome. This happens in 49 AD that Claudius lays out this. And so a few years before 49 AD, for sure, the church has been going, building momentum, and now with the flip of a switch, all of a sudden, the church in Rome is just Gentile believers, because all the Jews have been cast out. And so the church starts to grow and has a number of years before ultimately Claudius dies and that rule goes away, before the Jews return to Rome and so now the, the power brokers have flipped, the influencers and leaders have flipped, and, and what was primarily a Jewish church that had a few Gentiles is now primarily a Gentile group of believers that has a few Jews in it. 
And this creates all kinds of realities. This is not just some random trivia to kind of geek out on a history lesson here. This is deeply important to realize and recognize that the people in Rome were just like you and I, although in some ways there certainly are some differences. This matters because the people are just like us. They, They are just like they and just like us were people with opinions about how to live life and do church. And guess what? They didn't always agree. They, just like us, were people with struggles and challenges, and they sometimes rubbed each other the wrong way. They, just like us, had these ideas in their heads from each of their individual past that they brought into how they thought about God and faith and practiced their walks with Jesus. And they would often go to these old ways rather than looking at what does God's word have to say for us. They, just like us, lived in a place where Everybody around them thought, frankly, they were crazy for following Jesus. And the thought of going to church was just like, what's wrong with you? And they're trying to figure out how to live life in that reality. They, just like us, had struggles with addictions and sin and despair and suffering and big questions and hardships And they were trying to not only live through these, but make sense of these as followers of Jesus. And it was into all of this that they and us, we need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because all Paul had to offer and all we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This letter is written to people of faith who desperately need to be strengthened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 continues. This introductory part, he says, First, I want you to know, Paul right into the Romans, I thank God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. How cool is that, eh? The the faith of this church in Rome is is so renowned and what God is doing in their midst is so profound that it's being declared everywhere, all over the nations. People are hearing about what's going on here and what the the move of God in this place. Verse 9 continues, God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. Pray for you over and over and over. Jesus is my witness. God is my witness. I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. One of the biggest reasons why Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome is because he's yearning to be able to come visit them. He's hoping to be able to come and visit them on the way to Spain on one of his future missionary trips. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually, may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Friends, notice this, and we cannot miss this. We have not arrived. We have not arrived. 
This is a church that is having their faith reported around the world, what God is doing in their midst. People all over are talking about them. And and I wish that I could say that all over the world, we as a church here, as Bethel Baptist Church in Strathroy in southwestern Ontario, the the faith amongst us is renowned all over the world. I don't think we can say that, but, but there are a lot of really encouraging things where God is moving in our midst, for sure, no doubt. But in both cases, for us and for them, even the the church that has said the faith of you is renowned around the world, God has led Paul here to say, I long to impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Has the church in Rome arrived? Has Bethel arrived? Have you and I arrived? No, we have not arrived. We need to be strengthened. Even if we've come to know Jesus, and even if God has started to do some amazing things in our midst and in our lives, we need to be strengthened. We need to keep growing and to keep being strengthened. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. Paul longs for the opportunity to strengthen these believers. That's why he's writing this letter to encourage and to strengthen them. That's why the Holy Spirit has given us this letter. And he's yearning as well in person to be able to get there to be able to strengthen them in their faith. Together with our brothers and sisters from years ago, we today too can herald out. We have not arrived. We need to be strengthened by the gospel. We need to be built up by the gospel. We need to keep growing and let the roots of the good news of Jesus go deeper and deeper in our hearts and souls. But it's so tempting subtly to start to think and to start to live like, you know, I think I've, I think I've arrived. We we might not say that out loud, but we start to slowly, subtly, it leaks into the way that we live. I I mean, let me give you some examples. We think about with our money, the attitude we have with our bank account, with the money that we have. And and, and we we start to think, you know, things like, you know, I, I think I'm giving pretty decently to the Lord. It's, it's fairly faithful and pretty generous, I think. And, and, you know, life keeps getting more and more expensive. Rates are going up and groceries and everything is getting more expensive. And, and I, I, think I, I think I've gotten to a pretty good spot. I think my family, we've gotten to a pretty good spot of being generous with our finances. I mean, I, I, I know there's things we could step out in faith in. I mean, I know there's more needs and opportunities to bring the gospel to the nations and to bring the gospels to the communities right here around us. And, and I, but, but you know what? I, I'm good. I'm good. We, we are giving enough, aren't we? Right? Right? We start to think 
We've arrived. We get into our friends' bubbles, where we have some, maybe some pretty decent relationships with some people that are generally fairly good influences on one another. They might be pretty decent people, pretty good influences overall. We've got a group of people in our lives. And we get lured into being like, you know what, you know what, I think I'm, I think I'm actually kind of good. And, and surely that new couple that I see across the auditorium there at church, surely somebody else is going to go and really introduce themselves to them and, and really make them feel welcome and, and invite them into their home. Surely, because there's lots of other people that have more space in their lives. We're kind of good. Surely there's somebody else that's going to reach out to my neighbor or my coworker and, and share the gospel with them and really try and enter into their lives and, and be praying for them and leaning into them. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of tapped out right now as far as relationships I've got. I mean, I mean, surely small groups are for, for other people. Like, that's, that's great for, for them. That's great for them. That's great for them. You know, I've got some really good relationships, and I think I'm good right now. And I can just kind of cruise. I, I don't need to really be pushed further to step out and stretched in that way because I'm good, right? I was in a small group a number of years ago, and each week we'd break up as guys and gals at the end and have some time to share what's kind of really going on in our lives, and we'd pray together. And so we'd get together with the guys, and, and we'd go around and just ask the question, you know, like, how can we be praying for you from what we've learned from God's Word and what's going on in your life? What's going on? How can we be praying for you? Anything you're struggling with? Anything you need some support in? And, and we'd go around and we'd each share. And, and each and every week, it would come to this one particular guy in our group. And, and as it would come to him and we'd ask, you know, how's it going? How can we be praying for you? What are you struggling with? What do you need some support in? He, he, would, he would stop and pause. And, and I'm talking like, like a good minute. And he just kind of, hmm. And, and as I got to know him, he, he sincerely, I really do believe, was trying to, this wasn't like a, you know, deflection, wall up, you know, sort of like um, hold you back kind of way. He'd sit there and he'd go, hmm. And he'd really think about it and try and like rack his brain. And then every single week he would finish off after like a minute of sitting there and he would just say, you know what? I think I'm doing good. I, I don't really, I don't really think I have any struggles right now. And, and at first I was like, really? But then I started to get to know him. And what I started to realize as we were really talking through this is in his head, what he had was, you know what? I'm not doing anything like crazy terrible. I'm, I'm not an axe murderer and I don't have five wives. And so that must mean like, I'm a nice person. I'm a, a relatively good citizen and, and pleasant person to work with. I'm good to my family. I sing the songs, pray the prayers, do the things that I'm supposed to do generally. And so I'm a pretty good person. I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm good. I've arrived. Altogether, just dismissing, ignoring when Jesus says, wait, 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 wait a minute. Like, this is about so much more. Like, listen to when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is even angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Whoa, this isn't just about murdering. He amps up, what's the attitude of your heart towards people? He says, you have heard that it said, do not commit adultery, okay? But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, well, wait a minute. You're saying, Jesus, the thoughts in our minds and our hearts, that's actually what you're looking at? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Or, or here's one more. Matthew 5, 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. Just give him everything right off your back. How easy, how tempting it is to get into this place where we start to think, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing fine. I'm, I've, I've arrived. I, I've given my life to Jesus. My family's in a decent spot. I sing the right songs, check the right boxes, volunteer here and there, pray the prayers. I'm good, aren't I? I've arrived, haven't I? Surely that's good enough, right? God's word before us pushes us. It challenges us. It corrects us and it meets with all of us. God's people back 1940 years ago in Rome and us here today in southwestern Ontario in 2022. And every single one of us are confronted. We have not arrived. We receive this letter as people of faith needing even stronger faith. We are on a journey, a spiritual road trip. And as we begin this leg, and we're going to be in the coming weeks here, journeying our way through the book of Romans, digging into this amazing letter that unpacks so beautifully the gospel to strengthen our souls. I want to invite us today from our homes right now to pray just such a simple prayer to bring our hearts before God at the outset of this series and to ask God this simple question. God, where do I need to be strengthened by the gospel? God, how do I need to be strengthened by the gospel? Bring that question, dear friends, before the Lord. I know, God, would you be gracious not only to show us the answer, but to lead us towards that in the days ahead.